We are uh, dealing with skills in godly relationships, and uh, as we have dealt with marriage and the husband and the wife, uh, now we move on to, and believe me, when, when we consider the marriage and the husband and the wife, we did not cover everything. We're just trying to give you an overview uh, on those things, just like with this, with child rearing um, or child training. We're going to give an overview from a, a wisdom's perspective, if you will. Uh, it doesn't cover all the details, but you ought, from these things, you ought to have principles as far as how to deal with things. Um, unfortunately, I am uh, forced to remind you that we cannot be reading Scripture through cultural lenses. Here's an example of that. My parents spanked me for everything, and therefore, I'm not going to spank my kids. That is not looking at Scripture. That is looking at your anecdotal evidence, not understanding that there may have been a reason why your parents spanked you. Uh, Yes, for everything, no. But, um, you know, I, I was literally uh, punched in the face in one disciplinary uh, procedure with a ring on the finger with nine stones in it, one for each of the kids. Um, Does that mean I shouldn't wear a ring? Does that mean I uh, should never spank my child? No, no. Just because it's done wrong doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. But we're not even going to talk about spanking tonight. That is part two or part three. We'll see when we get there. So let's pray, and we will start with skills and child training, part one. Father, we come this evening with great joy because we have been given the privilege of being your children, and you have a plan and a purpose in training us, in disciplining us, in conforming us to the image of your Son so that we might be lights shining in the midst of a dark and perverse generation, so that they might have hope. With that in mind, we recognize you've called us to be about the business of letting that light shine in every area of our life. So as we consider child training, give us grace to see your scripture for what it is and to determine how we might best implement that into our Well, helping our children in their parenting uh, for most of the people here or for raising our children ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So God's overall intention for the family. You might remember back in Genesis, God gives man the vision for what he's supposed to be doing. He uh, brings him to the garden, says, look, you're going to tend the garden. You're going to have dominion over everything. And you're going to subdue the earth. Okay? I don't know about you, but how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Very good. We've used that one enough times so for you to know the answer. Uh, When I'm looking at the Garden of Eden, let's say it's 200 square meters. Um, How big is the world? A little bit bigger, right? (laughs) So uh, God puts him through the test, gives him a helper in the job that is suitable for him. Eve comes along. Be fruitful and multiply. Uh, The word in the Hebrew indicates that God did something in that command. 
turns everything on so that they're now going to be fruitful. Personally, I don't think they were in the garden for very long before Satan has intervened. There's a fall. But if they had stayed in the garden, the purpose was to have children. Those children were going to grow and help them subdue the earth. So the garden was going to expand. Okay? And then those children would have children, and they would grow and help them subdue the earth. Uh, the reason why that's all important is because when we look at God's overall intention for the family, the first question we ask is, what are children? Uh, from a cultural perspective and all the nice things that moms and grandmas and maybe grandpas say is, oh, they're little bundles of joy. Grandpas are probably going to say packages of problems. Uh, Dave and I have discussed the idea of... Uh, Shock collars. Uh, think they might be effective in junior church and other areas of ministry. Um, the women just don't like that. I, I, I don't understand it. <laughs> but um, letter B, God's view as we get it from Solomon. In Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gates. And of course, that last part there, they're going to speak with their enemies in the gates. Uh, the idea was this guy had a quiver full of children, which meant if we go to battle, we're not just dealing with dad, we're dealing with all the kids too. Uh, that might be a, a problem depending on how many kids you have. Now, if you have 2.3, it might not be a problem. Just saying. You know, uh, people, uh, Jeff, I don't know if this is true about you, but with our five, we would go to the grocery store and people would say, are they all yours? And I'd say, actually, we rented one just to get that response from you, you know. Uh, it's kind of like, it's only five, uh, nowadays, uh, so many young people are thinking one is good enough, two if we have to. And because insurance doesn't cover the cost of it, instead of con trusting the Lord, because, well, we're very oriented towards living in this world, mind, money, so on, so on, two's all we're going to have. It's kind of like, that's a real shame. Uh, I tell young people when I'm doing uh, premarital counseling, no offense intended, Eugene, uh, that uh, when it comes to having children, um, five was not enough. Uh, we had five, and for me, every, every announcement that I'm pregnant was a, uh, because I was worried about the money. And then it's kind of like, okay, Lord, you've proven yourself. You've proven yourself. You've proven yourself. And God said, here, we're going we're gonna to do it one more time, but I'm really going to test you. Because the first one cost 3500 no insurance. The second one cost um, 700 We had pretty good insurance. The third one cost twenty. We had really good insurance. The fourth one, uh, was that? $20. $20. That was $5 extra for a semi-private room for four, four days. <laughs> we had really good insurance. Um, uh, the fourth one, we had to apply for the uh, help from St. John's Mercy Medical out there in West County. 
They had a program where depending on how much you made. And so Joseph cost us 600. And then uh, Hannah came along three years later. Hannah cost $11,500. Younger in my marriage, I would have just absolutely freaked. Hannah was paid off in three months. Now, the church had a secondary insurance here um, as our primary. So they were only going to cover, for, because it was a C-section, they doubled the money and they were only going to cover about 5400 The ter- church took a special offering and gave us a gift. And uh, then I wrote letters to all the doctors saying, hey, guys, I'm paying cash. Uh, can you give me a discount? You know, since I'm paying cash, can you give me 50% discount? Well, no, we can't go that high. <laughs> but I got 10 from one guy, 25 from another guy. And the hospital, they sat there and said, we have a program, hallelujah. Uh, St. E's, downtown Belleville at the time. And so we filled out the application and they said, you can't afford this. And I said, yeah, I know. That's why I filled out the application. <laughs> and uh, they go, well, we're just going to write the whole thing off. And I go, hey, I've got this $7,400. Let me pay off the doctors and give you the rest of it because that's what it was assigned for. And then write off whatever's left. And they said, okay. So... But that would have freaked me out if that was the first child. Uh, you know, I, would, I sat there and said, I got to quit school, get three jobs, and because that's kind of the way I'm wired. And uh, God trained me over the years that that's not something that needs to be worried about as much. So it's not that you're not going to take care of business, but God's view through Solomon. Notice, number one, children are a heritage of the Lord. If you will, this is kind of like having a legacy. Now, that legacy can be a good legacy. It can be a bad legacy. Uh, But notice, number two, they're a reward. Um, Like I say, after having five, I I wish we'd had more. Uh, But number five came along when we were a little bit older, so that's good enough. Uh, Number three, they're like an arrow in the hand of a warrior. What does a warrior do with an arrow? You can just imagine the... Uh, warrior protecting that arrow, putting it in a glass case, taking it out once in a while and putting some mineral oil on it, uh, putting some, uh, uh, Jeff uses a beard uh, conditioner, putting a feather conditioner on the feathers, you know, that kind of a thing. Is that what you do with an arrow if you're a warrior? No, no. Um, Notice, set it on the ground and say, go get them. There's the target. That's another option. Uh, arrows are shot at a target. And so parents are to know what the target is and how to measure success or failure. It is interesting, uh, whenever you're a parent, uh, very often, for the first time, you know how much about parenting. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you, you know what you saw when you were growing up. Uh, were your parents perfect? And so what kind of parent might you be? Imperfect, <laughs> okay? But you ought to have an understanding of what the target is. Well, what, what is the target? Well, hopefully within, you're going to probably have more than one idea of what that target looks like, but hopefully we're going to have a, a well-rounded person that can survive in society. That might be, one of the things that you're thinking about. Uh, How do you measure the success or the failure of that? Whether or not they can survive in society. You know, so many 
Young people these days are living in their parents' basement, have no drive to do much, but that might be because we've never communicated a vision to them. It's kind of like, you know, you're really good at that. Maybe you ought to uh, pursue education. Maybe you ought to get into a trade or whatever the case may be. Uh, we don't provide that kind of uh, encouragement sometimes. And so how do you measure success? Well, they're still living in my basement, so it must not be a success. And again, there might be a place for that. That's another thing. Number two, the importance of having a distinct goal or a target. Letter A, without a goal, the busyness of life forces one down the paths of pragmatism. In other words, if I don't have a target that I'm shooting at, then the busyness of life is going to crowd out anything that I might think is out there, and we're going to do what's necessary to get the job done. And if it means getting them out of the uh, basement, then I'll turn the heat down uh, or turn the uh, air conditioning up in the wintertime, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, whatever, you know, that, if that's how you're going to measure success or, and there is no target. Letter B, common goals for children that are not distinctive biblical, uh, distinctively biblical. Number one, a proper, properly educated. Uh, for some, that means high school diploma. Uh, for a lot of people in today's day and age, they've got to have a college diploma. A college diploma is like having a high school diploma back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, I, I don't know that I agree with that statement, but that's the thinking. Okay. Number two, get a good job. Now, most of the time when people think about getting a good job, they're thinking about more in the white collar, the professional area. Uh, the reality is, is uh, trade people are doing so much better financially than a lot of kids that go to college, uh, spend the four years, $100,000, get out, and uh, they're going to be hired at the lower level of whatever profession they may be in, and they're going to have to work until they're recognized as having some kind of skill. Usually that happens when they're 40, and then they might be promoted, uh, so for some people, trade's probably a good choice uh, over that kind of thing. And again, if you're really, really good at whatever you're doing, maybe you'll be recognized a little bit earlier than that, and uh, professional is the way to go. Number three, uh, one of the common goals, stay out of trouble. I don't know how many times I've heard from Christian parents, if I can just get them through these teen years without get, uh, them being involved in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, that's what it used to be. Now it's music I don't like, you know, so maybe it's rap or, 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 you know, if I can just get them through their teen years without them doing that. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. We're at the Super Bowl and you've got your kid on this team and Satan's on the other team and you're going to play defense the whole time. There's no offense. What happens to the defensive players if they're on the field for eight, nine minutes? They get tired, at which point they don't see this guy running around the outside edge, and that guy catches the ball, runs down, scores. Now you're down 7 nothing. And guess what? You're still on defense. Wait a minute. That's not fair. That's what trying to get your teens through the sex, drugs, and rock and roll time as teenagers, uh, that's what it is. It's playing defense all the time. There's no offensive, uh, not in the sense of I'm offended, but in the sense of what kind of positive thing are you doing? I'm just trying to protect them from. Uh, 
all the devil has to do is score once and you've lost. So that's not a good uh, goal. Uh, number four, be a good citizen. And of course, in our circles, that means that your kid is going to grow up to be a Republican or a Libertarian, right, Jeff? Uh, <laughs> um, and do you want to be good citizens? Sure. But is that the goal? No. That's actually a byproduct of what the goal ought to be. Uh, number five, be happily married. <laughs> oh, how many young people get married and how prepared are they to be husband and wife? They are prepared for the honeymoon. They're prepared for how many over thousands of dollars that wedding may cost. Uh, usually somebody else's money. Uh, they are prepared for the first so many months and then the glasses are taken off. He leaves his socks on the floor or his underwear. Um, she hangs her nylons from the shower curtain. I uh, can't get in there and take a shower. Um, he's got his shaving equipment and his whiskers all over the sink. Uh, all those things come about and uh, happily married. One of the problems I find with doing marriage counseling is so often people sow bad seed living for themselves for about the first seven years of marriage. And then they start to reap the fruit of that bad seed in the second seven years of marriage. Most of the people that have come in for uh, marriage counseling over my time of being a marriage counselor, they've been married for 12 to 14 years. And they're dealing with issues that started in the first year. You know, and they got history. History of unresolved conflict. And now they're fighting with each other. They sound like brothers and sisters that are teenage, teenagers instead of adults that are mature. Hmm. So, happily married. If they'll get over that hump, they can be happily married. They really can. Um, I, I tell people, Lynn and I went through that, okay? But uh, God has worked in such a way that I check with her every now and again because what I think is wonderful, she might not. <laughs> but uh, I check with her from time to Hey, as far as I'm concerned, things are going good. Are, are we doing okay? And she tell me, yes. Um, I've told you before, you know, very often we will go to bed at night and we're laughing at each other. Uh, yeah, with each other, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I do what I got to do. I get into bed and I go, hey, honey. She goes, what's that? I go, I got in bed first. Big whoopee, right? But it's just a way of picking on her because she's still doing the 972 things that she has to do before she can go to bed. And uh, she'll normally give me some kind of a wise remark. Happily married, but we've been married this year for 39 years. Okay? And we went through the 12 to 14 years of doing it wrong. So, boy, if my kids can be happily married, when do you measure that? 39 years. <laughs> okay. And then, of course, another one is, oh, I just want my kids to be saved. You know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, my kids made decisions for Christ at a relatively young age, 
And there have been many times since they've made decisions for Christ when I sat there and said, are, are, are they even saved? Uh, why? Because just because they're saved doesn't mean that they understand everything. They have to grow through things just like we had to grow through things. And very often as parents, we've come to this point, our kids are down here and we want our kids to be up here. It's kind of like, how long did it take you to get there? And you have these expectations. And so, yeah, if my kids just be saved, not good enough. So no, notice, what about number six there? The goal aims at one point, or if you will, at a climax. They got saved, an event, conversion, profession of faith. But once the goal is achieved, then what? Then normally the parents want number one through five, that they are properly educated, get a good job, stay out of trouble, be a good citizen, be happily married. And again, these are goals that parents have for their kids, but they're not distinctively biblical. So that brings us to number three. God's design stated. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the living things that move on the earth. So God's stated design, God creates man with a particular task in mind, subdue the earth. Eve's created to help him subdue the earth. The family is created to subdue the earth for God. So the parent's role is to train up a child for this purpose. That's the goal, the target. They're arrows. You're pointing them at the target. What's the target? Subdue the earth. Okay, letter uh, number two, defining the purpose. What skills do they need? That should be a do, not a two. Do they need to follow through with God's purpose for them? Now, if we were talking about subduing the earth, having dominion over it, but there's other people in it and we have to conquer them, which unfortunately the church has participated in at times in church history, uh, it would be one thing. But we're not talking about that. So what are we talking about? Remember, how big is the Garden of Eden? Let's say it's 200 square meters. So that's basically going to cover uh, your home. Okay, and now your kids grow up, and what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to, I would imagine, go and ha have a home and have dominion over that property. Okay, that means we got to have a lot of kids because there's a lot of property to buy in order to... See, we're still thinking physical realm. What about the spiritual realm? If they're born again then really in subduing the earth, their job is to be involved. Again, they're the arrows. The warrior is the one that's pulling the bow back. And in this case, it's not necessarily the parents as much as it is God. They are there to be involved in the warfare that God has us involved in. 
And so he, he gives them their spirit. They're filled with the spirit to live a life that's different than a natural life. And in consecrating the Lord God in their heart, they're living in such a way that someone might actually come and ask a question. Why are you like that? And they are prepared to give an answer for the hope that they have in them. See, subduing the earth in that fashion is really what the church has been given to do. And so if they're born again, they're part of the church, that's what they're going to be doing. They're not going to be going out and fighting physical battles, hopefully, to subdue the earth as much as the spiritual battles of living contrary to their flesh, their, their uh, sinful nature, living by the power of the Spirit of God, and uh, winning others into this side of the battle. So notice, defining the purpose, what skills do they need? First of all, establishing a relationship with God, which of course is going to include evangelism and discipleship. Now here's one of the points I want to catch here. When I say relationship with God, I do not mean that they have made a profession of faith and they know the talking points. We've seen that all too often in the church. Kids grow up in the church, they learn the answers, they know how to give the answers, but it is not a part of their life. They're, they're not in a relationship with God. Now, let's take it to the next step up, okay? They've entered into that relationship with God, they might actually be saved. But unfortunately, all too much of our Christianity is a, a rote memory type thing, where here's what we know and how do we live? And those two don't always go together. And we pray when we need to pray, when someone asks us to pray if we remember, but relationship, that involves where, you know, I'm really looking to God for answers and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to him. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him, and he's directing your path. There's more to that than just, okay, I have been a relatively moral being this past week, and I prayed, and God gave me a new washer. See what I'm saying? Our, our rote memory Christianity, we do all of the Christian things, we know the answers, but relating to God, that's for the church across the street. I'd like to tell you that discipleship means we're teaching them how to have that relationship with God, which, of course, indicates that we're having a relationship with God. And then number two, evangelism and discipleship will include the nature and attributes of God, the fall of man, man's spiritual ruin, God's one plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. Learning to serve God, to read and study the Bible, the need to daily, uh, of daily repentant faith. In other words, when, when they walked from here to there and they went into a house, what, what happened? A servant normally... What did a servant do when they got into... Wash their feet because their feet were dirty from the dust of walking along the path with sandals on. They didn't have boots necessarily for so many of them. 
Uh, we see the example with Jesus. You know, it's kind of like, okay, where's the person supposed to wash our feet? Well, I'm not going to do it. You guys are a bunch of dingbats, you know. And Jesus wraps himself with a towel. Now, he says, it, it says there in John, knowing who he was, where he came from, and where he was going. He did this. I'll be honest with you, those three things right there are pretty important if you're going to be a good servant. You know who you are. I'm a child of God. Where you've come from. <laughs> Man, I used to live in the realm of darkness, and he translated me into the kingdom of his dear son, and I got the life of God inside of me, and where are you going? And I'm looking forward to that day when either he comes back or I get to go and be with him, because that's what's going to happen. When you got those three things straight in your mind, can I tell you that serving somebody else is just not a big deal? This is what God would have me to do. Even plowing the parking lot? Even plowing the parking lot. But I did charge. <laughs> uh, but notice all this stuff that we ought to be teaching our kids. Not only learning to serve God, read and study the Bible, where they're coming to some conclusions because the Spirit of God is opening their eyes to those things. The need for daily repentant uh, faith. So I've I, I blew it. Okay, deal with it. To participate in the service of the local assembly. You know, every now and again we get the uh, Trail Life guys up here to, to receive the offering. Good job. Keep it up. Um, that's one place. We have leaders in training in Awana. Well, they ought to be trained to be leaders, which means they ought to be learning how to do all the things they would do if they were going to be a leader. Um, pray for the members. Uh, oh, uh, to participate in the service of the local assembly. What are and how to use spiritual gifts? J Joseph, Joseph could sell an ice cube to a, an Eskimo. Daniel, pretty much the same way. Now, Jonathan has an outside sales job, but he sells by serving. He does not sell by talking. Daniel sells by talking. Joseph sells by talking. They're talented in the gift of gab, if you will, okay? Um, Jonathan's a lot more like his mom. Uh, Joseph and Daniel are a lot more like me. Uh, as far as spiritual gifts go, I'll bet if we were to give them a spiritual gifts test, you would see that Jonathan would shine in the area of serving, and the boys would probably shine in the area of the speaking gifts, which means they ought to think about using those speaking gifts. Not as a used car salesman might, but if that's how they're gifted, they ought to learn how to use those things. Uh, something that I don't know that I prepared them for when they were at home. Um, to pray for members of the local body. You know, uh, Dave shares with me uh, how he's feeling during the week and praying. And so I immediately pray for Dave. When we go to bed at night, we pray for the people that we know need a little bit of prayer. And we pray for our kids. Um, kids ought to learn how to do it. Um, Lexi got saved, and uh, first thing she said after she got saved was, I'm going to tell Uncle Jason. And Uncle Jason shows up about a month later. She gets up on his lap and starts telling Jason about Jesus. And uh, when a four-year-old is telling you about Jesus on your lap, you sit there and listen. And it was a few months later that Jason got saved. But the uh, uh, whole point being is, you know, her first thought was worrying about someone else. Well, prayer goes the same way. 
Yeah, it is neat every now and again. We'll say, okay, who wants to pray? And Cameron is right there. I'll pray. And sometimes he just, thank you for the food, amen. Good enough. Uh, and there have been times when he has prayed about things that he knew about, and it's kind of like, cool. It was, it was a sweet little prayer. Uh, kids ought to be praying for members of the local body to discuss strategies for the growth of the church. Lynn comes to me, and look, if you want to be offended, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Lynn comes to me, and uh, one of the difficulties we have for those that are serving in nursery, uh, junior church, and stuff like that, is uh, parents, when they leave here, they are on their way down there, and they'll get waylaid by someone, and they'll get talking. It happens. Not a problem. But some people, they take 20, 25 minutes to get back in there and pick up their kids. When you have to watch the kids, it's really hard to clean up the room and get it ready for the next day. You want to get rid of the kids. And so she, she brings it to me and I say, yeah, I, I understand, you know, we're serving those people until noon. After that, there's no more service available. You get your back here and get your kids. Obviously, that's not what she was trying to communicate, but I was saying, look, when we serve, we serve. Uh, we're not now do the parents need to be a little bit better about getting back there and picking up their kids? Sure. And then Lynn, of course, my answer wasn't good enough, so she talked to Jonathan, <laughs> which, which is fine. Uh, not a problem. So uh, Jonathan says, you know, Mom, why don't you talk to the safety team, and when they get up to sing that last song, have the safety team come back and let you know, okay, they're singing the last song, and then walk all the kids up to the back of the church. And when the song's over, the kids are there, parents are here, they can be released to their parents. Parents aren't necessarily signing them out, but you're watching them go to their parents, you know. It's kind of like, you know, that's actually a pretty good idea. Because once you get rid of all the kids, you can go back there, clean up, and take care of business. Now, like I say, someone might want to be offended because, well, it's not my fault someone waylaid me and talked to me in the hallway for a half an hour. Well, yeah, I understand, but yes, it is, <laughs> okay? And, well, it's not my fault. I want to get out of there and eat lunch sometime today. Yeah, I understand, but y yes, it is, <laughs> okay? Um, but they, they found a, a good strategy of trying to fix both worlds. They can stand here in the pew and talk to someone for 25 minutes if they want to because their kids are here. Now, I don't know if they, I don't think they did that today, but uh, it's something to consider. And I'm not blaming the parents for talking, and I'm not blaming for the, the people that want to get out of there. They're both legitimate things. But have the kids discuss strategies for the growth of the church or for fixing problems like this. Let her see. Successful child, uh, child training will affect how the child sees himself. Is he a good Republican or a good citizen? A good representative of the family name? A lot of people, they, they discipline their kids according to whether or not the family uh, was embarrassed by what they did instead of dealing with the issue of the heart, okay? Uh, or are they a servant of God charged with the privilege of learning to subdue the, uh, the uh, for the glory of God? Employment and marriage are tools to do this. Um, I said it last Wednesday, I guess. Maybe I said it the weeks before, but uh, God uses people 
and circumstances to rub us. Iron sharpens iron. To, you know, if your wife is a 60 grit sandpaper, that says something about your roughness. If she's 120, that says that you've learned a few things. If she's a 400, you're getting pretty smooth, <laughs> okay? That kind of a thing. And if your husband is that way, well, maybe God's trying to teach you something there too, uh, that kind of a thing. But uh, same with kids. Um, they are, uh, when they get a job, I don't know how many times I've heard, my boss is just, he's just a horrible person and he doesn't understand this and he doesn't understand, kind of like, what's God trying to teach you? Well, it's my boss that's, what's God trying to teach you? Talked to a young man this morning. I go, how are things? Pretty good. I go, still struggling with anger issues? And he goes, yeah. I go, what are you angry about? Kids pick on me at school. I go, what's God trying to teach you? He goes, huh? I go, is God in control of everything? Oh, yeah. So he's in control of those kids that are picking on you. What is God trying to show you about you that needs to grow? Maybe it's just a matter of learning how to put up with it so that you can withstand the barrage of things that people are going to say about you when you get older. So he's strengthening those muscles. Maybe God's trying to show you that you're too worried about what other people think. Maybe God's trying to, you know, that kind of a thing. So... He uses marriage employment to do that thing. Number four, God's design reinforced. First of all, by his endorsement, Genesis 18, 19, for I have known him, speaking of Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham uh, what he has spoken to him. So basically, God knew Abraham in order that. Child training was a result of his own relationship with God. It was, if you will, part of God's sovereign election. Oh, think about that for a minute. God saved you so that you would raise your children to love him. I thought it was about me going to heaven. No, it, he had a purpose in it, a whole lot more than going to heaven. Okay? Letter B, God's desire, uh, design reinforced by his command. Deuteronomy 6, 4-7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So note the flow of the verse. First in verse 4, identification with the one covenant God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, uh, the Lord is one. Verse 5 leads to the love for that God. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Uh, by the way, going back to that concept of relationship, when, when you think about love for your spouse, normally we associate a feeling with that. Now, it doesn't have to be 
a feeling. It is a choice to do what's best for the other person without consideration of the cost to oneself. But usually feelings are involved. When people come in and say, I don't love my husband anymore. I don't love my wife anymore. Well, start serving them. Because the more you do for that person, the more you're going to feel like you love them. Because love is a choice. It is not a feeling. But feelings are associated with it. So when we talk about loving God, how many of us, when we say, I love Jesus, how many of us associate a feeling with that? And is the feeling kind of like the feeling that you have for your wife, your husband? Or is it a, I'm just so glad he saved me. <laughs> you know? I think when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, get to know him so that you love him. I was picking on Lynn today. Came out and gave her a kiss. And she goes, anybody ever tell you you're a good kisser? She goes, well, nobody better have. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, it's one of those things where, I'm sure someone else wouldn't think I'm a good kisser. There's something going on between me and her where, okay, I'm a good kisser, okay? But only for her. Um, well, the same thing ought to be with Jesus where, you know, he's been so good to us in so many ways, merciful, compassionate. Wow, how many times did I deserve and, and he didn't give and, and he gave when I didn't deserve, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we ought, ought to really grasp this concept of loving him, having that feeling, if you will. Don't have to have the feeling, but uh, you ought to think about that. And then verse 6 involves immersion in his word. Uh, and these things which I command you today, you shall, uh, shall be in your heart. Um, every year they come out with... Um, surveys among a thousand Christians. Uh, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? And, and they have found that for the most part, uh, within the Christian evangelical movement, uh, ignorance of the Bible and an unbelief in what the Bible specifically says, that's on the rise. It's not a wonder that we're not reaching a lost and dying world because God has become a genie. Church has become a place of, it makes me feel good, entertainment instead of a public display of what I've been doing all week long, worshiping the Lord, putting him first, letting everybody know about it through the way I live, through the way I speak, things like that. So uh, immerse, it involves immersion in his word. And then verse 7 overflows to instruction of one's family in his word. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Uh, we were on vacation in Brazil with another missionary family, and uh, after we ate a bunch of, uh, well, basically sardines, they were fish they caught in the river, and they just deep fried them, you know, everything in them, eyes, the whole bit. <clears throat> They were, they were actually pretty good. But after we did that, uh, uh, the other missionary said, would you like to take devotions tonight? I said, sure. So we did devotions for the next 20, 25 minutes. And uh, we got done, and he goes, do you always talk to your kids that theologically deep? I said, yeah. Why wouldn't I? they got to learn how to walk in the Spirit just like an adult would. How do I know that? It says, be filled with the Spirit, and then, 
Uh, this is what it's going to look like in your life. And submission. Let me explain submission to you. Children, obey your parents. We like ki- kids just obey us because we said so. No, no, no. They got the law of sin in their members too. They're rotten, little, dirty, rotten, scum of the earth sinners just like you and I are. And they need the power of the Spirit to do what they're supposed to do. How do they get the power of the Spirit? They got to be filled with the Spirit. How do they get filled with the Spirit? They got to let the Word of Christ dwell in them richly, just like mom and dad do, which means you're teaching it to your kids. Okay? Boy, that puts a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure on dad. Uh-huh. Yeah, God's the one who put it there. Don't like it? Talk to him. No, don't bother. It won't do you any good. Okay? So notice, children are to grow up with God's viewpoint incorporated into how they think about any area of life. Now, that doesn't mean that they're supposed to grow up to be little judges about everything. It means they have to have God's viewpoint about all those things. Um, Lynn and I have been talking about Alistair Begg recently was asked by a woman in the church. Uh, she's got a grandson, I guess it is, that uh, homosexual, and they were getting married. She was invited to the marriage, and Alistair Begg uh, gave her a counter viewpoint. Most people would say, you don't go to the wedding because it shows that you approve. She'd already told him, no, this is wrong, it's sin. There's no approval. But he said, counter viewpoint. What would Jesus do? Well, everybody's pretty sure they know what Jesus would do, and it's what I would do. I wouldn't go, and therefore he wouldn't go. Jesus did an awful lot of things that most of the religious people of the day wouldn't have done. I'm not sure it's as clear-cut as everyone wants to make it. Now, would I go? Probably not. Probably not. But I think this falls into one of those areas where Alistair and her made one decision. We'd make another decision. I'm just not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. They're responsible to God for that decision. I wouldn't have made it, but that's okay. That's my opinion on it. I I don't know enough about it to give you a solid, thus saith the Lord. Uh, But it seems to me that she had made it clear she's not supporting them, but she'll come and show compassion. Okay, whatever. But uh, we, we've talked about that a lot lately because a lot of people are very quick to be the judge instead of God's viewpoint. What is God's viewpoint on something like that? Well, I know, I know he hates the sin. How he would respond in that situation, that one's still up for grabs in my mind, I guess. Let her see. His design reinforced by his sanctions, Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who when he has chastened him, he will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out, of the, out to the elders of the city, at, uh, to the gate of the city, and they shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall shall put away evil from among you, and all of Israel shall hear and fear. I don't know about you, but this is one of those passages where we go, aren't you glad that's in the Old Testament? Because I'm pretty sure I would have been one of them. 
<laughs> oh my. So notice God's view of tough love. There's no coddling, no making excuses for, and there's no familyolatry. Rebellion brings the forfeiture of life. Ouch. Now, obviously, yes, we're in the New Testament, New Covenant. Uh, rebellion doesn't necessarily bring, necessarily bring the forfeiture of life through the elders of the gate of the city and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible does teach that there is a sin unto death. And very often that happens because people didn't deal with the person. And there was unrepentance. And God said, okay, you're not doing me any good there. It's time to go. Wow. So, uh, number, two, uh, number two, not number three there, but number two, the child has been clearly warned and disciplined by his parents, but continues on the course of rebellion against God. He was to be executed. The parents were to see that he was executed. The community was to know about it and participate in the execution. And the surrounding community was to hear about it to prevent others from repeating the very same sin. Imagine that. Number five, God's order design, original design confirmed and transformed uh, by Jesus. Number one in Matthew 10, 34 to 37. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against his mother, her mother-in-law, which already seems to be a problem. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That would be the family family that we talked about earlier. Number one, Jesus' motto was not family over all. If there's a choice, you pick Jesus. Number two, Jesus puts himself above the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment says, honor your mother and your father. Obey them. And Jesus says, if your mom and dad are wrong, you don't obey them, you obey me. Ouch. And of course, God's original design is confirmed by Paul in Ephesians 6, 4, which says, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The word training there or discipline is paideia, tutorage, education, or training, disciplinary correction, chastening, chastisement, instruction, nurture. The, one, the word for instruction is nuthesia, means calling attention to, mild rebuke or warning or admonition. Uh, nuthesia is where we get the concept of nuthetic counseling, which is now called biblical counseling. It is calling people to mind what the Word of God says and to live according to it, uh, and of course, if they're not going to, there is warning that comes with that. Number three, practically a new covenant rewording of Proverbs twenty nine fifteen, which says, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So the rod and rebuke is going to be uh, the disciplinary correction, if you will, discipline, and calling attention to or bringing to mind is going to be the rebuke part. So number four, Paul did not give detailed instructions on how to raise children. Why? Because you don't need to reinvent the world, the wheel. The Old Testament has ongoing instructive power 
Proverbs is basically a here's how you raise your children book and therefore don't need to say any more. Use what you already have. You'll notice a variety of verses there. Uh, Romans 15.4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, uh, through the patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. 1 Corinthians 9.9, For it was written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Is the ox God, uh, is the oxen, uh, is it oxen that God is concerned about? The answer, of course, is no. He's saying, here's the example. Now, the application is a laborer is worthy of his hire is basically what it comes down to. 1 Corinthians 10.11, Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And then for 2 Timothy 3.15-17, through 17, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, that would include the Old Testament, is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine. That's teaching. For reproof. That's saying you did it wrong. For correction. Here's how you do it right. For instruction in righteousness. Now, practice it. Uh, parents telling me that they'd like their kids to clean up their rooms a little bit more often because they run out of dishes or silverware. Kind of like, well, first of all, did you teach them where to put their plate when they were done? Second of all, uh, did you rebuke them? You're doing it wrong because it's still in your room. Did you uh, correct them? Here's how we do it. Now, I want you to go in there and get the other things, bring them out here, and tomorrow we're going to check again. You know, that's the example, okay? That's the purpose of Scripture. But it basically lets us know that the whole of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, uh, has instructive power. Letter B, the stakes in child training. There are great benefits to a godly child. First of all, you have the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. I'm going to let you look up these verses on your own because we're already running out of time, but I think we can get through this. The fear of the Lord is a great benefit for a godly child. And if they will listen to their mom and dad, if they'll do the things that they've been taught, uh, they will find the fear of the Lord. That's what Proverbs 2, 1 to 5 says. A long life, Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, 1 Kings 3, 14. Obeying God's command is found in both of them. So again, it comes down to not only obeying your parents, but doing what the Word of God says in there. And then quality of life, Proverbs 4, 10 through 11 and 13. Obviously, if a child learns the lessons that God has for him, it'll keep him from capital offenses, murder, adultery, homosexuality, blasphemy, but also gives a person peace of mind and stability, good for health and long life. Um, Pastor has told the story of how bitterness dries the bones, Proverbs says, and how he knew a woman that as she got older, her bones became very, very brittle because she was a bitter woman and just held that all in. So when you follow what the Scripture says, peace of mind, stability, good for health and long life. So these are all quality of life issues that if a child will do what they've been taught to do, they will... uh, 
uh, gain from that. And then, of course, security and guidance, Proverbs 6, 20 to 22. The comprehensive principle taught in biblical child rearing uh, provides guidance for the circumstances of life. There's not a thing that in principle the scripture doesn't cover. When we teach them the whole counsel of God, they will understand how to make good decisions in whatever area. Uh, going back to Romans 12 too, uh, don't be conformed to the image of this world. Don't be pressured by the world to think a certain way, whether it be about politics, uh, vaccines, whatever, okay? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Notice, that's wherever the world is trying to conform you, God has a principle in his word that covers that thing. And that's what we want our kids to get so that they can have security and guidance. Notice number two, uh, not the Holy Spirit in verse 22. Let me read verse 22 for you. 22 says, uh, When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. It's not the Holy Spirit that's doing that. It's the Word of God that is doing that. I, whatever the circumstance that arises, you're going to understand, okay, here's what God says about that. Here's what God says about that. Here's what God says about that, that kind of a thing. Uh, so uh, number two, the chief benefit for the parent is joy and satisfaction. Uh, I have one, two, three, three uh, passages here that talk about the joy that a wise child brings to a parent, the grief that it brings to a mom especially, but also to a dad uh, when a, a child is foolish. Number three, for the child, a God-given goal. It's the application of the fifth commandment, which is children obey your parents, okay? But parents should expect the child will obey and honor them. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Daniel's talking to his mom one day, and he says, you know, Mom, we know that Dad loved us. Even though I was a yeller and didn't always handle things well, we know that Dad loves us, but we also know that if we had messed up, he would have killed us. Uh, okay, obviously that is not a true statement. I wouldn't have killed them. I did threaten them. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. You know, <laughs> But uh, the, the reality is, is, Yes, I was firm. I didn't always handle things right. They did know that I loved them, but they also knew Dad wants us to do well. Uh, it wasn't just a matter of do or die type thing. So parents should expect that their kids are going to obey and honor them. Number four, the call to honor. The word honor is kabad, uh, to give weight to, to regard, to treat with respect. Honoring parents is the crown of social commands. Jesus illustrates this in Matthew 7, 6 to 13. Um, he's talking to the religious leaders because God's word says, 
obey and honor your parents, and they were allowing for rebellion among young people, saying, look, if you gained anything from my being around you, it's a gift of God. And, you know, they were undoing what God said. And, and Jesus says, hey, this is the crown of social commands. If you won't obey your parents, we know when you get out there and you're in society, you're going to be nothing but a problem. So deal with that one, and the rest of it falls into place. Number five, how to honor. Proverbs 2.1, listen intently. I don't know how many times kids are told something, they're not really listening, and then they wonder why they didn't get it right. And it's kind of like, well, you never told me that. It's kind of like, well, obviously you weren't listening very well. Kind of like me with my wife from time to time. Uh, letter B, memorizing uh, lessons taught. Um, none of my kids sand wood across the grain. Why? Because they were all taught you go with the grain. Okay? Uh, now that's just an example, but how about changing oil? Hannah, you know, here she is, 18 years old. She's driving and she changes the oil in her car all by herself. She doesn't need dad to do it. Why? Because dad taught her how to do it. Um, when it comes to changing a tire, well, Hannah's not like so many young ladies that, oh, you know, she, you know. She did it. <laughs> um, why? Because she was taught how to do it. Um, one day she goes, you know, I, I changed the oil and I'm driving down the road and I'm seeing oil behind my car. So I came home right away and I, I called Dave. I go, uh, I haven't looked at it yet. I just got called about it. What do you think? And he goes, probably that little rubber gasket on the uh, top of the thing, the old one didn't come off. So sure enough, she looked, it wasn't off and so she undoes it all, gets that piece off, puts it back on, drives down the road, add to add a little bit of oil, you know. But uh, memorizing lessons taught. Now, that's a physical illustration, but what about spiritual stuff? Uh, once again, I kind of pick on you adults because we expect kids to memorize Scripture in uh, Awana. But are we? Are we hiding God's Word in our heart? Something to think about. Letter C, give your heart to your father. Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. Uh, very easy to have your kid's heart when they're smaller. It takes a little bit more work as they get older. And what is Elijah's ministry going to be when he returns? To return the heart of the child to the, the father and the father to the child. It's, it's something that we believe in here. This is one of the reasons why we don't have youth pastors, because it's very easy for youth pastors to get the kid's heart. No, we want the parents to have their heart. Okay? Um, well, the youth pastor said this. He disagrees with you. Boy, we need those kinds of fights, right? Um, letter D, internalizing the father's teaching. Uh, that's where, again, it's, it's memorizing it, but it's become a part of them, so it shows up in their life. And then letter E, how to honor. They respect or they fear. In one of these verses, the word is actually translated, revere your mother. Okay. Uh, questions for application. Would a believing child be expected to make Baal-worshipping daddy or, and mommy happy? No. So it doesn't mean dishonor them. It means that you got to know when to do what they've told you to do and when what they've told you to do is actually part of that 
false worship and know my job is to worship God. Letter B, would God see a child's actions or their heart as they may act right in front of mom and dad, only letting yourself out when they're not around? Uh, whole point here is very often kids know what they can get away with in front of mom and dad. And they wait until mom and dad aren't around. Do they understand that God sees that? Uh, that's one of the things we ought to be uh, helping them understand so that they don't just continue on a path of, in essence, conform in front of mom and dad, go to church, do the right things, and then when we go off to college, party! You know, that kind of thing. So, and, and a lot of kids that grow up in the church, unfortunately, do that. Why? Because I'm accountable to mom and dad. No, you're accountable to God. But again, that's part of it. If we're training them right, we're always pointing them back to God, and ultimately they're going to be under his auspices, and that's okay. All right. I'd say questions and thoughts, but uh, it's 710, and uh, I'm going to let you go. Uh, next week we'll talk a little bit more, and uh, I know there's going to be at least a three-parter, but it might be a four-parter, but somewhere in the rush we're going to deal with rod and rebuke because that seems to be where everybody's concerns are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that truly you are about the whole person, not just about how it looks on the outside. You uh, gave us a new heart, put a new spirit in us, put your spirit in us, so that we might actually being enabled to live the life that you've called us to live. And in so doing, as parents, our job is to bring our kids to that same kind of understanding where they're learning to walk with you. We ask, Lord, that you would give the parents, both of young kids as well as as adult children, wisdom to be about that uh, real business. Because even though my kids are out of the house, there's still opportunities to counsel and point in the right direction. I just pray, Father, that the kids might have the hearts to hear and listen and learn and, and become the people you want them to be also for your glory. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.